Amen, indeed. I find that even though we are believers, many times we forget the work of Christ on the cross, and we try to add to it our own righteousness. Maybe for you it looks like recording the number of days in a row you've had your quiet time or the number of minutes that you have been able to pray. Or you find your fullness in that the fact that you listen to the right music or wear the right clothes. Or that it was you that gave up the most valuable thing for Lent. Or that your Bible knowledge is the greatest. These things appear to be wise. They have the feel of righteousness. But the Apostle Paul sees them for what they really are. Chains keeping us from the freedom that we can have in Christ. You see, the Colossian church had a similar problem. They knew that they had received the gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus, but they thought that they needed to add to what God had already done. So they attempted to add to their faith rituals and holy days, ceremonies, food laws, and ascetic lifestyles. But Paul saw through their false righteousness and earthly piety. He saw how they had enslaved themselves again to the earthly principles of this world, thinking that they were all the more holy for it. And so Paul wants to answer for us in Colossians chapter 2 just how the cross has set us free from our sin. How has the death of Jesus liberated us from our trespasses? And so if you have a phone or mobile device, you can turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. If you brought the written word, it might be too dark for you, but we have it on the screen for you to follow along. And so we look at Paul's words in Colossians 2, starting in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Paul sets the stage for us in verse 13, and I can see in my mind's eye the courtroom of my life, the courtroom of your life, that there we are standing guilty before the judge, the death penalty over our heads. But the court case closes. Something happens. The criminals walk free, alive to God, together with Christ. And I think it's at this point that the Colossian church, like us, is saying, Amen. That is the gospel that we proclaim, that guilty sinners go free. However, like the Colossians, we so easily forget how we have been forgiven. And that does lead us into trying to add to what Christ has done. And so Paul reminds us tonight that our forgiveness has, it was not cheap. It was not the flippant wave of the hand of forgiveness. It was not the mere kindness that the modern man wants from God. It was instead full forever. And so Paul gives us two reasons in the remainder part of this passage why our sin is truly forgiven for good, setting us free forever. Let's turn to verse 14 where he gives the reason why God has been able to forgive us all our trespasses. He says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Here in the heart of this passage, Paul makes his first point that the cross has set us free from our sin by erasing our debt. 
The death of Jesus liberates us from our trespasses by wiping away our charges. That there in the courtroom of your life was the record of your debt. An IOU to God upon which you had written all of your filthy sins and secrets. Your conscience pleading before you your guilt and the sentence of death. Maybe you have been here the last few weeks as we've studied the Ten Commandments and you have been confronted week after week with how far you have fallen short of God's standards, of the holiness that He demands. And we know that as lawbreakers, there is a punishment, legal demands, Paul says. And we know from Romans that the wages for our sin is death. The penalty we deserve is eternal punishment, separated from God. But what happens? Paul says that, no, this record of debt has been canceled. The word there meaning wiped away, erased, blotted out. That once a record of debt has been completely paid for, you can erase it and use the document again. And so in the courtroom of our lives, the evidence before us is blank. There's nothing on it to condemn or accuse. Not only that, Paul goes on in the second part of verse 14. He says this, being the record of debt, God set aside, nailing it to the cross. You see, in those times when a criminal was convicted to death by crucifixion, they would write upon a placard all of their sins and nail it above their head. And so that document outlining all the things you hoped no one would ever know about you was instead nailed above the head of Jesus Christ for all the world to see. Our shame became his shame. Our sin, his sin. When it should have been us struggling to climb Golgotha's hill, it was Jesus. When it was supposed to be us watching the soldiers drive the nails into our wrists and ankles, it was Jesus. When it should have been us struggling to push up the weight of our bodies so that our lungs can catch a fleeting breath, it was Jesus. And when it should have been us feeling the full weight of our shame and God's displeasure and wrath, it was instead Jesus crying out, God, why have you forsaken me? It should have been us getting what our sin deserved. But instead, in what Martin Luther has called the wondrous exchange, it was Christ paying the perfect price for our sin, taking our transgressions upon him. Only one chapter before, Paul has said that Jesus is the one through whom and by whom and for whom all things were created. The image of the invisible God in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It was Jesus the King who took our penalty and paid our debt in full. And so our forgiveness was not cheap. It was not based upon cheap grace or mere kindness. It was paid in full by the blood of the perfect Lamb, Jesus Christ, on the cross, blotting it out from our record forever. 
that not only was the evidence against us wiped clean, it was thrown out of the courtroom, set aside by God, nailed to the cross. But someone may ask, might my sin come up against me again? Might someone dig it up out of the trash? What about my sin from yesterday and today? And to this, Paul says that the cross has set us free from our sin by defeating our accusers. The death of Jesus liberates us from our trespasses by disarming our enemies. Look at verse 15. He, being God, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The rulers and authorities there are Satan and his crew of demons, so often in Scripture called the accusers, speaking into our minds, reminding us of our sin, bringing up our sin before us, before God, accusing us before others. In those times when a Roman general would defeat a city or a nation, he would take his captives, strip them bare, chain them together and lead them in a triumphal procession to their shame and to his glory, showing his power over them. One author picks up on this picture and the irony of verse 15, and he says that it was at that moment that Satan thought that he had stripped Jesus bare, putting him to open shame and leading him in triumph. But it was instead in that moment God stripping Satan bare, leading him in open shame and triumphing over him in the crucified Messiah, that the victory was won once and for all, that there is nothing left for us to do but to say thank you, to rest fully in the finished work of the cross, that when we think that we can honor him by adding to it our own little victories, we instead dishonor the finished and perfect work of our magnificent Savior, And so tonight, all we can do is rest in Jesus' victory, knowing that our forgiveness was not cheap, but cost the Son of God his very life. And in its place gives us ours. And lastly, we know because there is no one who can accuse us, No sin that God does not already know, wiped clean and paid for, we can boldly confess our sin to God. Nothing standing in our way before him. And so tonight I ask us, rest in Jesus' victory, not your own. Amen.